Okay, with that, let's pray. Uh, Father, we do thank you for this day that we celebrate the risen Christ. We, we really celebrate the risen Christ uh, every Sunday here. Um, Lord, we come to you this morning, Lord, asking that you would help this story come alive to us. May it be fresh in our thinking, in our minds. Many of us have heard the story many, many, many times. And in some ways, it becomes a sort of a, we get inoculated to the magnitude of uh, what happened through the risen Christ. And so, Father, I pray for each person here, whether they know you or they don't know you, uh, that we would encounter the risen Christ again through your word. Uh, May our lives be transformed and renewed in him on this day. And we pray this in Christ's holy name. Amen. I was not planning on starting today with 1 Peter chapter 3, but like all of you, I woke to the news of the attack or attacks in Sri Lanka, uh, which is an island off of the coast of India. Some people I heard kind of, where is that? There's a map out there. You can look at it afterwards. Um, I, my days are all a blur, but there was the fire in Paris and other fires at a lo- number of churches, which will probably be linked to terrorism. And so this morning, I wanted to start the Easter story from 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 3. And there we read, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. The resurrection of Christ is all through the New Testament. My quick search, I didn't do all the tenses, but I think it's like 45 times through the New Testament, this word resurrection appears. Uh, The resurrection of Jesus is the jugular vein of Christianity. Without it, Christianity is nothing. If Christ didn't raise from the dead, you guys are wasting your time here today. Verse 4 to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable, undefiled, and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this way you greatly rejoice. And this is the part in light of the attacks that I wanted to get to, even though, so he's going to contrast something, even though, Life isn't a bowl of cherries or a box of chocolates, you know. It's, it's, there are hard realities, especially for the Christian in light of persecution. Even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials so that the proof of your faith be more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, but believe in him, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, obtaining as the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls." So I want to open with prayer, especially for our brothers and sisters in Sri Lanka, because we're one body, even though we 
aren't facing persecution this morning, a part of our body is. Um, There are families right now riddled with um, pain and sorrow that I can't even begin to imagine, that as our brothers and sisters are gathering to celebrate the risen Lord, the God of mercy, love, joy, peace, kindness, gentleness, that they would be attacked in the midst of those conditions. And, and we have been attacked because the body of Christ is one. And so, Father, we do pray for our brothers and sisters in Sri Lanka and in parts of the world that are suffering persecution that we can't even imagine. Father, we pray for them that as they experience huge persecution for standing on the resurrection of Christ, Father, we ask that your spirit would fill them with joy that's beyond comprehension, that they would rest in you, and that as they go through this suffering, as they mourn uh, the loss of loved ones, family members, uh, that their mourning would be different. We pray for their testimony. We pray that the world around them would see something different within them. Father, we pray that as we live our lives, that we would also uh, tether our lives around the reality of the risen Christ. And whether we're going through ups or downs in this life, Lord, that you would help us to have a joy that's unmovable, that's grounded in the reality of what Christ has done for us spiritually. Father, I pray for those in this room and that may be listening online that don't know you as Savior, that they would come to the place where they um, can see the evidence that's there, that they would be willing to give their lives to you and place their souls in your hand. We thank you, God, that it's your, your kindness and your mercy that leads us to salvation. And so we ask that your spirit would move amongst us here today. And it's in Christ's good name we pray. Amen. All right, let's go to John chapter 20. This is the story of the resurrection. We're going to work our way through it. There's essentially three scenes within the gospel of of John chapter 20. Uh, Resurrection Sunday. There's scene one in the morning when they discover the empty tomb. Uh, Maybe there's four scenes if you want to split this one up. But then we see the risen Christ encounter Mary Magdalene. Then there's the evening when Jesus appears to the disciples who who are hiding. And then there's the final scene a week later when he appears, I believe, for... Uh, Thomas, the apostle. So we begin the story in verse 1. Now on the first day of the week, which is Sunday, Mary Magdalene came early to the tomb while it was still dark and saw the stone already taken away from the tomb. So she ran and came to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved. That's John, the author of this, this letter or this gospel. And she said to them, they have taken away the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So to kind of rehash the story so that we know where we're sitting, the trial of Jesus, if you can call it a trial, has happened. They sped things along because there was a holiday. It was Passover. They crucified him. The Romans did it. There's no question he was, he was executed. The Romans were 
professionals at executing people. There was no question. They had taken him off the cross. They had put him in this grave or this tomb that this wealthy man had provided for him. In Matthew's account, we read that they say, hey, protect the body all you want, put guards there, do whatever you can do, because they're like, oh, they're just going to come up with a story. So from the beginning, there was questions about Jesus' that he could raise or that they would steal him, that they would make a story. So they had guards poised. They had everything situated to, to guard the body. And so Mary comes at daylight, uh, Sunday morning. The Sabbath restrictions would be off. She goes to the tomb as day is breaking. She sees that this stone, which would have been like a 2,000-pound stone, rolled away, and she knows that the body's gone. And to say that there was panic in her heart would be an understatement. I'm, I'm fairly certain that we all have experienced death of a loved one, not you personally, or you wouldn't be here. But to go there after the funeral, after they've placed the body in the ground, to return the next day or two days later, and to see a big hole in the ground, I can't even begin to fathom the anger, the worry, the concern, the, the, the range of emotions that somebody would come across. And these are the emotions that she's feeling. So she takes off running, Verse 2, so she ran and she came to Simon Peter and to the other disciple, that's John, and said to them, they have taken away the Lord out of the tomb and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter and the other disciple went forth and were going to the tomb and the two were running together. The other disciple ran faster than Peter and came to the tomb first. And stooping and looking in, he saw the linen wrappings lying there but he didn't go in. And so this word, it's blepo. It's, it's, it means that he looked in and he glanced. It wasn't like a quick, deep look. It was like he looked in, he sees that the linens are there, uh, lying as if a body had been there but left, and they just kind of sink down. And so he sees that. And also Simon Peter, verse 2 or, or verse 6, and so Simon Peter also came following him and entered the tomb. And he saw the linen wrappings lying there. This is a different Greek word. And this is a word where, that we get the word theorize from. And so whatever's going through Peter's head, it was more than just a glance. He's, he's looking in and he's beginning to sort of postulate, like, what happened here? I don't think he got it. But something had happened. It wasn't like they'd, they'd unwrapped Jesus from all the wrappings. It was like the body was gone. Verse 7, and the face, face cloth, which had been on his head, not lying there with the linen wrappings, had been rolled up in a place by itself. So the other disciple, who had first come to the tomb, then also entered, and he saw and believed. Uh, this is a Greek word, oida. It's a third Greek word for saw, and it's, it's the, in layman's terms, I got it. Like, I understand and this tomb, for those of you there, were there earlier this week, we can assure you that it's still empty. Um, it's sort of like a three-compartment tomb. It was a wealthy man's tomb. And so as you stepped into the tomb, 
there's a left and a right chamber. So there's, they're going in and kind of peeking around. And so they realize, John said that he, when he came this other time and he gets it, uh, verse, at the end of verse 6, I think is where we were. No, no, verse 8. So the other disciple had first come to the tomb, also entered. So after Peter really goes in and looks, we're told that John then goes in, he sees again, and that I got it. And he records that he believed. For as of yet, they did not understand the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. So the disciples went away again to their own homes. But Mary was standing outside the tomb weeping. And as she wept, she stooped and looked inside the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting. One at the head and one at the feet where the body of Jesus had been lying. And they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? I love the questions in the Bible. I, I think that they're trying to get her to, to pause, to, to break out of her emotion of the, of the trauma. And hey, why are you weeping? To, to get some conversation going. And she said to, oh, I'm sorry, uh, verse 13, she said to them, because they have taken away my Lord, and I don't know where they have laid him. When she'd said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there and did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? So if the angel's question kind of caught her off guard, the second one from this guy who she thinks is the gardener, which we're going to read, she's like, do you guys not have any clue what's happened in Jerusalem this weekend? Have you not heard about Jesus? Have you not heard about this, this, uh, th- this near riot that broke out in Jerusalem and this is where they buried the body? Why are you asking me these dumb questions? But she had some self-control. She said to him, Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've laid him and I will take him away. Like, I'm not in the mood for games. If you moved him, just let me know. I'll, I'll take care of his body. I'll give him a proper burial. And Jesus said to her, verse 16, Mary, and she turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabbani, which means teacher. And Jesus said to her, stop clinging to me so you don't need to see what she did when she realized that it was Jesus. She immediately clings to him, holding on to him. Whenever I see this, I always think of those um, th- those military coming back from deployment stories where, where the spouse comes home and they, they hide the spouse in something and the kid or the wife, suddenly it dawns on them who they're engaging with, where it's immediate tears that, for us watching, let alone for the people that are experiencing it, and they just cling on to the person and they don't want to let go. This seems to be the reaction that she's having. She's holding on to him, clinging on to him with no intention of letting go. And he says, Mary, please stop clinging to me for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But he gives her a mission. He says, but go to my brethren and say to them, I ascend to my Father and you to your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene came announcing to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And that he had said all of these things to her. So this is still morning. She explains to them, I, I don't know what they're thinking. 
we don't have from morning till evening time. They clearly didn't go back to the tomb where she'd seen him last. But they're hiding. Verse 19. So when it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, that's Sunday still, and, and when the doors were shut where the disciples were for fear of the Jews. So here they are. While the NFL is dead to me with the Chargers leaving. <laughs> King Stallman bail bond commercials still remain in my mind. And I used to love that commercial where it's like the doors are slamming shut, like all of the deadbolts are being locked. And then all of a sudden on the screen, it opens up and says, you might not be happy that the Raiders are coming to town, but we are. And then it's this advertisement for King Stallman bail bonds. <laughs> this, this is the image that I have them. They're all locked in their room. They're deadbolted in. They're afraid of their lives, and I always have to point out, uh, for fear of anti-Semitism, it says for fear of the Jews, this isn't like they're Gentiles, they're all Jews in the story. And so when we read this, we need to insert, uh, for all of them they're Jews, there's unbelieving Jews and believing Jews. And so these believing Jews that are locked up in the room for fear of the unbelieving Jews... Jesus came and stood in their midst. So here he appears. He didn't open a door. He didn't knock at the door. He suddenly, physically uh, appears before them. I, um, I've been trying to think about this story. And I, you know, Bob Towsley's on all of our minds that our dear brother who went with the Lord, and I, like, I can't imagine what sort of fear would strike me if Bob just like, walked in right now. Like, like I've been thinking, like what, would, like, what would I do? I wouldn't be like, a, hey, Bob. It would be like, terror. So these guys are locked up, and all of a sudden, the living Christ appears before them. And Jesus says a very normal, natural Greeting in Hebrew, which is shalom. But the meaning of shalom has so much relevance in this situation. Peace be with you. Don't be afraid. He, in verse 20, and when he had said this, he showed them both his hands and his side. He says, come, touch me. Fill my body, fill my hands. The, the wounds are there. He, I, I don't know if he, you know, uh, normally it seems like Peter would be just like grabbing it, but I, I get the feeling that he kind of had to take their hand and say, touch me, it's okay, it's me, I'm alive. And we, we're then told here that the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. So Jesus said to them again, Shalom, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. So here's the beginning of this great commission. He says, I came to this world to bring peace, to bring reconciliation, to, to bring hope. And as the Father sent me for this mission, I'm now commissioning you 
with the same message to go out. And when he said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, their sins have been forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they have been retained. Now this statement can be kind of, how do we understand this? Because previously Jesus has already said that like, it's been clear through the Gospels, which we'll get to as we go through Mark, that Jesus, at one case he goes up to a guy and he says, your sins are forgiven you. I think it's the paralytic that goes through the wall, which I, the ceiling, which I think is our next story in Mark. And they get all in an uproar, like, how can you forgive sins? Only God can do that. Jesus says, what's it easier to do, to forgive somebody's sins or tell a paralytic to get up and walk? And so now they're in a real pickle. And so Jesus says, go ahead, get up and walk. And the guy gets up and walks out of there. Thus, Jesus demonstrated that he has the authority to forgive and to heal. The healing authenticated his message of forgiveness. On this point, I like what Alistair Begg has to say. Alistair Begg, he understands this, and I agree with him, that this is sort of their commission to share the good news. We've received the forgiveness of God. God has forgiven us of our sins, and now we carry this message out to you. And if you receive his forgiveness, you're forgiven. But if you reject this offer, your sin remains on you, and the wrath of God is impending you. And so there's the beginning of the Great Commission. It's, it's, it's the gospel going forth. One of the more entertaining butts in the Bible, but Thomas. Where was Thomas during this time? Like, he gets such a bad rap, and I, I want to I guard against uh, making fun of you know, Thomas that now has the reputation of doubting Thomas. Thomas is a realist. I don't know how you guys would react. Following a funeral, you show up, 10 of your buddies say, we saw him alive. Okay, then where is he? Like, like if, he was, if he rose from the dead, why is he gone now? <laughs> I don't know, but he showed up. We touched him, we did all this stuff, and this goes on and on and on. And we'll see here that Thomas says, I can't believe until I get the same. Like, I, I will not. I choose not to believe. And I do think, as I prepared for today, Thomas is the guy that would ask the question that nobody, that nobody really would like to ask. We all know John 14, 6, right? Where Jesus says, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Why do we have that verse? Because Thomas raised his hand. Jesus gave this whole message for the first five or four, four verses, saying, I'm going to go to a place, I'm going to prepare a room for you. There, there's many rooms and all this stuff. And Thomas says, I don't get it. Can you explain it to us, Jesus? And from that question, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. And so here's Thomas just kind of like, guys, it's great, but I think you might be seeing, you guys maybe get some sleep or something. Like, you're getting delusional here. But Thomas, one of the 12, called Didymus, meaning the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples were saying to him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to him, unless I see in his hands 
the imprint of the nails and put my finger into the place of the nails and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. Why does he say all this stuff? Because they're telling him what they did and what they were able to touch and how they were able to authenticate that Jesus was risen. And so it just seems logical if he's risen, then Thomas should be able to do the same thing that they did. And he doesn't say, I cannot. He says, I will not. And there are many people who I've spoken with in my lifetime, many who are smarter than me, who have said, I will not follow after Christ. I will not believe this message. And if you start digging into their lives a little bit about, well, how much research have you done? You say it's blind faith, but have you examined the evidence? They say, oh, I haven't read, I haven't read the New Testament. I haven't read the Bible. I haven't looked at any, any of the evidence. But they boldly say, I'm not going to believe because if Jesus rose from the dead, then there's going to be implications on my life. And there's been many a philosopher that said they don't want there to be a risen Christ because then they can control their destiny. They can control how they live their lives. But if Christ is raised from the dead, then there are implications on your life. And that's not what Thomas is doing. He's saying, when this happens, I can believe. And I love in this whole story, it's going to take another week. In the New American Standard, it says after eight days, you could translate it a week later. So it seems like it's another Sunday night, one week following that Jesus appears. And Jesus has Thomas's little checklist. And so if you have a reasonable checklist of things that are holding you back from the faith, Jesus knows your little checklist. And I think that God will answer your checklist. If it's, if it's a genuine checklist, like there are things I needed answered before I could reasonably come to faith. And we see that God took Thomas's checklist in verse 26, after eight days, his disciples were again inside and Thomas with them. Jesus came, the doors having been shut, and stood in their midst and said, Shalom, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, reach here with your finger and see my hands. Reach here, your hand, and put into my side. And do not be unbelieving but believing. Thomas answered and said to him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Because you have seen me, have you believed? Blessed are they who did not see and yet believed. And that's the category that we're in today. Um, we have to take their testimony. It, in this story, we've seen so far three resurrection accounts. We see Jesus resurrected with Mary. Um, if this was a false story, if this was something that they made up, there's no way they would have included Mary. They wouldn't have included a female. A female couldn't legally testify in court. But yet John, as it happens, he includes Mary as, as the first to see the risen Christ. Then in that evening we see him appear to the 10 disciples. And then a week later, we see Jesus appear to Thomas. Now, if you'll turn with me over to 1 Corinthians 15, 
I'd, look, I'd like to look at a few other resurrection accounts. And the reason I do this is I don't know if you guys have ever met uh, Jewish people. Um, I say this with the utmost respect. Jewish people, the Jewish culture, they're extremely stubborn. Like a stubborn, resilient people. If they weren't, there would be no Jews amongst us today. The fact that the Jewish people still like exist today is, is out of this, this desire to preserve their culture and their beliefs. And, and so here we see these, these 11 Jewish young men who surrendered everything to follow this rabbi who they claimed raised from the dead. They gave their, like all of these guys gave their lives for Christ. The only exception would be John, the author of John, but the reality was he was, he, he was sentenced to death and he survived. And out of superstition, they, they wouldn't re-execute somebody. He survived being boiled in a vat of oil. Um, I can't even imagine the wounds. Like this, this Saturday, as I'm thinking, uh, I think God gave me an illustration in my son who burned his hand, like pouring some hot water. And it, it really did a number on his hand. Like Gideon is, you know, Anna always says, oh, Gideon built Ford tough, you know, kind of. Sorry, Chevy guys. Or, you know, <laughs> sorry, I see one there. <laughs> I see a thumbs up over there. I wasn't trying to get into any sort of Chevy Ford war. Uh, I'm really neutral. Um, but when I heard him cry and cry and cry, I was like, man, something really happened. And when we realized that he'd pour, like boiled water, we had him stick his hand in water, and the next morning all the skin was gone. So it's like, okay, we need to go to the doctor now. And uh, I, I can't imagine the whole body. I know Mara's here. Mara, when her house burned on fire, how many percent was, was your burn? She only 17%. I mean, I say only. But if you hear her tell the stories of the horror of going through burning. And so here the Apostle John was boiled to death, but he survived. And there was no burn treatment center for him following that. So I can't imagine his pain and his suffering as he was exiled out to the island of Patmos. All all, all these guys saw the risen Christ. And so for them to give their lives and not to back down is huge. And so now in, verse, in, chapter, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, we're going to turn our attention to the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul, who was one of the huge attackers on, of Christianity. Now he writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 1, Now I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preach to you, which also you received, in which you also stand, by which... Also, you are saved if you hold fast to the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. And he appeared to Cephas, Then to the twelve, after that he appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time, most of whom remain until now, 
but some have fallen asleep. So at the time that Paul wrote this, he says that Jesus appeared to 500 individuals and most of them are still alive. So if you were alive during the time that Paul wrote this, he's saying you can go find these people and they will give a testimony that they saw and touched and encountered the risen Christ. Verse 7, then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, to, last of all as to one untimely born, he appeared to me, that's the apostle Paul also, for I am the least of the apostles, and not fit to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me did not prove vain, but I labored even more than all of them. Yet not I, but the grace of God with me. Whether it was I or they, so we preached, so you believed. Verse 12, now if Christ is preached, that he has been raised from the dead, how do some of you, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? This is the Christian atheist, the one who says, oh, I believe in Jesus, but he didn't rise from the dead. And so Paul's confronting this, verse 13, but if there is no resurrection of the dead, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is also in vain. There's no such thing as a placebo that's worth anything if we're talking about the resurrection of Christ. He's saying if Christ didn't raise from the dead, if it makes your life better, if you're able to, whatever it is, if he didn't actually raise from the dead, what you're doing is a waste of time. Verse 15, moreover, we are even found to be false witnesses of God meaning that he should be executed for being a false witness if Christ didn't raise. Because we testified against God that he raised Christ whom he did not raise if, in fact, the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless and you are still in your sins. I'll never forget when I was early in my Christian life, I started going to this Tuesday night Bible study there was free pizza, and that's why I was going. If, if I'm honest, you know, that was one of the reasons that kept me coming back. And there was some lady that spoke one night. And at the time, she said something that was really good at the time, but I've, I've come to realize that what she said was really foolish. And she said, you know what, guys, if this is all a hoax, my life is better uh, she was like an addict at one time. She says, like, well, I'm no longer an addict. I'm living good. I'm not doing the things that I used to be doing. And so if this whole Christianity thing is a hoax, the placebo effect has worked well in my life, and that's great. And at the time, it sounded good. But the more I think about what that lady said, she's absolutely wrong. If Christ didn't raise from the dead, there's, there's no point in trying to act like a Christian, trying to act like you're redeemed from within, and Paul says this, if Christ didn't raise from the dead, you're still in your sins. Verse 19, or verse 18, then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If we have hoped in Christ in this life only, we are of all men most to be pitied. 
So Paul makes this huge case that Easter, what we celebrate, the risen Christ, if Christ didn't raise from the dead, stop playing the game. Now, does he stop there? This would be super huge uh, case against Christianity. But what does he say in verse 20? But now Christ has been raised from the dead. Paul's whole life was turned upside down. Stubborn, staunch Jewish man who when he encountered Christ on the road to Damascus, his whole world was transformed. He says in this that if Christ didn't raise, he would be giving a false testimony worthy of the death penalty. If it's just a placebo effect, it's worthless because you're wait, go out and live a carnal life. Go live it up. Do whatever the world tells you to do. He says if, if Christians of all people should be most pitied if Christ didn't raise from the dead. He says, but now Christ has been raised and everything changes. I had a friend post on Facebook this morning. He wrote, the resurrection is crucial to everyone, whether you believe or not. And he quoted from C.S. Lewis, uh, his writings, God in the Dock, which is a sort of a collection of his writings. And C.S. Lewis says this, Christianity, if false, is of no importance. And if true, of infinite importance. The only thing it cannot be is moderately important. The story of the cross and the resurrection of, the resurrection of Christ, there's no middle ground. You either reject the claim or you embrace the claim. And if you've embraced the claim, there's implications in your whole life. The, the whole point of John, if we go back to the end of chapter 20, John says, therefore, many other signs Jesus also performed in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. So the question for all of us today, is Jesus the risen Christ? Are you believing in his name? This may be an old message to you, but my prayer is that it would be fresh in your life. For those of you that have not come to saving knowledge of Christ, my prayer is that you would be able to um, seek the evidence and come to a place where you're comfortable placing your faith in Christ's hands or placing your soul in his hands and trusting the work that he did on the cross. Um, if you really do a study of the claims of Christianity and the claims on the other side. I'm not sure which requires more faith. And so my prayer is that we each would walk new in Christ today. And my prayer for those of you that don't know Christ as Savior is that you would be able to inch closer to him so that you would be saved. And Father, we do thank you and praise you for this day. We thank you for the reality of the risen Christ. 
Father, you left us with so much evidence. All that was needed in the first century was his body to disprove that he didn't rise. All we have in Israel today, amongst all of the historic sites that they can say conclusively are the sites, all they have now are two spots that they speculate were the places where Christ was buried, but nobody knows because there is no body. Father, we thank you for the many witnesses that gave their life that they wouldn't back down, they wouldn't change their story, they stood firm, that they encountered the risen Christ. And Father, for those of us who never saw him but have encountered him, I thank you for the transformation that has happened in our lives. I thank you for the transformation that has happened in my life, now knowing Christ. Father, I pray that you would help us never to grow bored of you, never to grow immune to the majesty of the gospel story. Father, we pray that you would rekindle in us a love for you that maybe has grown cold over the years. And Father, again, I pray for those in this room that haven't placed their trust in you. Father, I pray that you would help them to resolve whatever issues they have that are keeping them from placing their trust in your hands, that their soul would be safe with you, Lord. We are grateful, Lord, for our church family here. We thank you for the love that's in this place. Um, Lord, I ask that you would help us to stay on mission with the gospel uh, all the days that we find ourselves on this earth. We love you, Lord. And it's in Christ's good name we pray. Amen.